Welcome to the Pocket Coven Podcast, where magic meets mental health. I'm Amber Lenore, a witch and licensed psychotherapist. I'm Callie Little, a sex educator and emotional support witch, and we're the coven in your pocket. Hello and welcome to this week's episode, my friends. Hello, Callie. Hello, hello, hello. <laughs> hello, friends. I'm so excited to be here with you. There's so many people here. <laughs> it's the biggest group episode we've ever had. We have two of our nearest and dearest on the show. And so I'm going to give you all a quick introduction before we get real goofy with them as we want to do. So first we have our dearly beloved podcast logo creator, EJ Landsman, who is also a certified scientific illustrator and a tattoo apprentice at the queer-run, trans-owned Lilith Tattoo here in Seattle in the neighborhood of Fremont. EJ, could you say hello to the good people? Hello. I'm so excited to talk about tattooing and magic with y'all today. Me too. And we also have Quinn Brenfleck, who is a second-year clinical master's student at Antioch University studying drama therapy and sex therapy. Quinn is a transgender witch and a cultist. Can you say hello? Hello, mortals. <laughs> can, I, can I make a quick note? I want listeners to observe the sexual tension between EJ and Callie. Oh my God. <laughs> and then also the sexual tension between Quinn and the void. You're really going to see just like these beautiful tensions in this episode. Thanks for setting us up for that. Yeah. Long time paramour. Yes. <laughs> Listen, EJ and I can't help that we're both really cute. Okay. It's true. I've tried. I've tried to address it. It's not I mean, possible. You, you no. should have been there when they were tattooing me and just like aggressively fucking up my wrist for like five hours. It was painful and beautiful. Five hours, babe, please. <laughs> okay. It was like was four two. though. It was well, two. It was two right. change. Both the oh, hosts Lord. are prone to hyperbole. Yes. <laughs> so, mm. so how do we all know each other? Who wants mm. to do some storytelling? Mm-hmm. Um, I can I can toss it in there. Um, me and Amber and Quinn all met at circus school. Yes? Mm-hmm. I have that right, don't I? That's correct. Um, yeah. Amber, when did you when did you start working at circus school? I came to circus school. As a student in 2014, I got hired in 2016, and you and I got put on the same team of specialized circus workers who were weaving in, like, trauma. (laughs) Uh, I don't know why I'm laughing. Like, oh, my God, that was 20 years ago. That was, like, six months ago that I stopped doing that. Um, Anyway, so, yeah, that's where we met in the circus. And then Quinn came a few years later. Yeah, I want to say, Amber, really, I've been at circus school since uh, 2009, Holy shit. Um, And Amber really, like, really helps. I was already on this path, but Amber really helped kind of radicalize the way that I thought about circus and kind of, like, body re-education and, like, bringing in, like, body knowledge into the ways that we, ways that we were teaching people in that space at that time. And Amber's been a really huge part of how I think of my work very generally. 
Oh, thank you, EJ. And, yeah. and, he, and EJ actually just would read me um, <laughs> at the circus school in ways that I found really helpful. Like one time I was over-functioning and EJ just looked at me and went, oh, you don't really like to give yourself breaks. And I was like, oh my God. <laughs> I don't actually remember saying that, but I do believe you. Yes, I am Gemini. I'm not sorry about it. Haters, get at me. I'm a Sag. I love a Gemini. Sag and Gemini are a classic pairing. But, right, you know, we like, should say sibling, sibling signs. Exactly. Like totally symbiotic. Um, which, just to say, you know, whatever inspiration I gave you, you internalized and then like gave it back to me as a like, presence. So. You're welcome. <laughs> Wait, so how how who met Quinn first when did you come into the circus school picture mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, I was hired as a lovably stereotypical gay receptionist and administrative <laughs> assistant for circus school <laughs> I want to say no it was pride season of 2018 20, 2018 that sounds, that sounds right. right to me yeah uh-huh and then I met EJ through the mechanics of that job and amber i very distinctly remember meeting after a staff sideshow where i got up at the behest of my my supervisor to read um poetry that i would define as having absolutely no chill uh it was very (laughs) very heavy and very intense and amber came up afterwards and she was like that's a language i understand (laughs) can we please be friends and i was like yeah we can so the rest is is, uh history Quinn, can I talk about how, like, the specific moment that we met at please, circus school? Please, please. Um, can I, is it okay for me to talk about uh, the pronoun situation that you were in on the intake there? Absolutely, yeah. Um, Quinn and I got introduced, like you said, just like part of the mechanics. They were, somebody was showing them around and introducing them. Um, I don't remember who it was, but I, I was, like, training in the space, doing something, and somebody came over and said, hey, let me introduce you to Quinn. Um, and we just kind of like, just like twinkled at each other a little bit oh. and they, they used a set of pronouns that I was like, I will use those, but I have a feeling that they are incorrect. <laughs> and then we would, we would, we would become friends later and chat more. And when it became clear that this was a space where like, yes, they actually could tell people, please kindly use these, you know, like non-standard pronouns or whatever, non-binary pronouns. And they would actually be respected for the most part. Mm-hmm. Turns out I was right about that. <laughs> the first of many spells in our friendship. Yes. Mm-hmm. I I would love to talk about how all four of us came together for the first time. Oh, oh yeah. yeah. I love that. Yeah. Please. Mm-hmm. So it was just over a year ago now. Um, I think, you know, EJ and I had met in passing over my dog being cute at one of Amber's therapy performances, which... Yes, Amber has done therapy performances, um, but that's a different story. I don't know if I had met Quinn, like possibly at the reception desk, maybe because I attended like six months of some circus school, but not nearly as much as y'all. But it it was New Year's Eve a year and a month ago, and Amber was like, I feel called to pull the three of you together with me. We each represent one of the elements, you know, I'm earth, Amber's fire, Quinn is clearly water, (laughs) and EJ is our air element, and we had a really beautiful kind of initiation and 
and I was like, are we a coven? Are we a coven? Is this a coven? Can it, can it be a coven? Cause I'm the fucking Virgo. And I was like, organize, name it, yep. put it in a container, file it. <laughs> and we've been in each other's lives ever since. Um, I'm so glad that we got to have, I think like three, maybe four coven meetings. I think it was three before the pandemic, uh, mm-hmm. you know, kept us apart from one another, but it's been really nice to have this as a stronghold in my life over the past year. Yeah, it feels really appropriate. I know we're not like really at the turn of the year anymore, but it feels appropriate for us to be coming together again, at least in this like season. Um, it's anytime somebody references something that happened a year ago, it blows my mind because mm-hmm. my brain is so off track with how uh, time is being kept these days, but it feels really nice to have it be like, yeah, that was about a year ago and here we are all together again. Time dilation is real. Oh boy, is it. So anyway, <laughs> oh, I know. I think I'm supposed to say something now. I don't know. I'm just, I'm, just, <laughs> I'm drinking y'all in. I just really love you. And I think that um, what's coming up for me is I think personal, which is why there is a little silence. I think that the three of you are... So I, uh, I'm not gonna say the only. I think that this is common in other a couple other people, but I, I know that you hold me in non-judgment, and I know that you see me. You are definitely the only three friends I have. Um, that well, I mean, that's I could just put a period on the sentence. No, there's <laughs> <laughs> no, a comma that um, I I'm not worried that if I'm not coping well, that's gonna be a problem. I'm not worried that if I don't answer a text, that's going to be a problem. I don't worry. Like I don't have anxiety attached to our relationships. They're really secure attachments. So more, I was just in my trauma brain when you guys were being cute. Um, Just to say that, yeah, I just really love you. And I'm glad that we have each other in this difficult time. And it feels like how have we not had you on here yet? Because it was Callie who did get her way and we did become a coven. And it was Callie who was like, but it's a coven in your pocket. Cause we could only text each other. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so it was just in our pockets and now it's a podcast and that's so beautiful. Mm-hmm. It makes me so happy. I love y'all. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's mutual. Right. But I'm the water sign. Okay. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Quinn is the salt water sign. (laughs) I mean, you're not wrong per se. I'm not only a salt water sign. No. I'm drinkable. I'm potable. Brackish, perhaps. It's kind of like your last name. I think, you know, Quinn is, over the course of the protests when we attended together, I remember you were having a really bad day one day like Mm. a a reasonably bad day Mm -hmm. because shit was unsafe and I said you are the storm and you were like oh yes I am Quinn is all the forms of water which brings me to magical practices right because if I'm thinking Mm. about Quinn I'm like my image of Quinn is that they're just like on a mountaintop just conducting clouds and like (laughs) making it rain on people all the time Um, but that's my projection of you let's talk more concretely can you just share for our listeners what what does witchcraft look like in your life Uh, do you resonate with witchcraft magical practice mysticism all the stuff Mm -hmm. and let's start with Quinn you want to talk about that sure I mean 
there's no getting around it. I have a complicated relationship with witchcraft and with faith in general. Um, there's still a very large part of me that feels uncomfortable at the idea of having such a private experience be like easily packaged and like tidied up. Um, and also I own, I think three tarot decks now a, a fuck ton of witchy things here and there. And like, I know a little bit too much about like Icelandic witchcraft. Like there's no getting around it. Like it's, it's clearly significant for me. Um, so I think the, like the best way to approach it for me is I'm very much kind of along the lines of, of ye old chaos magicians in the sense that um, I've been really drawn to witchcraft and the occult in general for how it kind of concretizes um, specific things, symbols, experiences, sensations, ideas that become meaningful to me and then structuring my own practice around that, uh, which has come to resemble a lot of witchy things and I've learned from a lot of witchy people. Um, but I don't know, it's, it's kind of perhaps fittingly fluid day to day, whether I would say I'm a witch or not. I think today is a witchy day. I think I will say that I am a witch today. Um, but it, it varies back and forth. A lot of it is like very intrapsychic, Amber, as you were saying, like very, very, very personal, very deep, very um, chthonic work. But uh, there are definitely elements of it too that are just like, I like this pointy hat and I'm going to wear it. Thank you. Mm. Yeah, I love that. Thank you, Quinn. I mean, I want to dig in more and I'm gonna, and I'm gonna, but let's hear from EJ. So what does your, your magical practice look like? What is that for you? Sure. Um, kind of similar to what Quinn just described, actually. It's very, um, it's real loose and kind of a mishmash. I kind of approach it, um, and have approached it like multiple times over the course of like several years that I've been like kind of drawn to different aspects of it. I approach it in the way that like it makes sense for me to do that depending on what's happening for me. Um, I see magic the way that I see a lot of other kind of human constructed things as like a meaning making uh, device. Um, and the times when I've been pulled towards any kind of magical, magical practice, it's been at a time when like I've been, not necessarily like suffering, but kind of like wrestling with something that I'm trying to make sense of. Um, and there are particular things about particular like uh, tools and toys, I'm going to say in magical practice that feel like make sense to me and feel kind of grounding. So having like a tarot deck as a thing that's like, here's, it's like an alphabet, right? Like here's a way to understand um, or here's a lens to look at like this thing you're experiencing. Um, yeah, I think of it, I think of it a little bit more as a way that I approach a lot of different things rather than like a facet of, um, rather than as like an activity I do, you know what I mean? Like I don't have, I have a little bit of imposter syndrome sometimes because I don't have like I don't have a daily ritual. I don't have a, a constant, consistent practice. Um, I don't. Uh, I don't do a lot of the stuff that I kind of feel like I'm heavy air quotes. I'm supposed to do. Um, I don't have a like a dedicated altar, et cetera, et cetera. But I think about this shit all the time, all the time, um, from the lens of like magic is like taking an intention and making it real and focusing on it and letting that kind of like shape my choices and like what I do with my life. That's kind of how I approach it. Is that airy enough for you? I was about to say, (laughs) 
you are an altar, right? Ooh. Ooh, I like that. Wow. Yeah. Like as you were talking, I was like, you know what? Fuck that. That whole idea that because you're not making something that could be Instagrammable, obvious to everybody, like you are a living altar and everything Mm -hmm. you do is magic because you're alive. Like your, your life is the ritual. Oof. Oh, Amber, that's so powerful. I really, yeah. Well, I really like that because that, that makes it like super accessible, super accessible to anybody. And I really like that aspect of it is really important to me. I really feel like anybody can, anybody can start putting some magic into their lives in a way that works for them and makes sense for them. And it does not I'm glad you brought up the idea of something being like Instagrammable or not, because that is just like, it's a creativity killer. It's a, it's an imagination killer. The second you start to think about like your audience and like what something is going to look like to an outside eye for me anyway, I should say for myself, it kind of kills like, okay, but what, what is the experience I am having? What's the genuine like landscape like for me? The second I start to think about like, what does this look like from the outside? I stop having my own experience, you know? Right. Cause it's only from the outside that the absence of a daily practice matters. Right. So if that is less important then how you're doing, it is less important. Yeah. I feel like that ties really clearly and very well to what you do for a living. Like the fact that you do very hmm, energetically aligning pieces of art. You know, like the tattoo that you did for me is an apple branch and it's got some very pretty flowers on it and it's tied together with a smoky quartz. So it does feel to me like putting this beautiful thing on my body altar and you do that for so many people. I feel like that is a huge magical practice that you give back to the community. Thank you. It's so funny. I think of... It's, it's, it feels super easy to think of tattooing as a, as a practice that can easily become magical. And I have never had that exact thought about like people bring the idea of like people bring their like physical altar of their body and like ask me to like work with me to like add something to it. I love that analogy. That makes me super happy. Quinn, what's coming up for you as you listen to this dialogue? How are you relating to this? Oh, wow. I mean, just so much of how (sighs) concision, Bren Fleck, concision. I think a lot of how, (laughs) like, um, when I say performative, I don't mean to discredit the idea of a performance. I think sometimes performances can be really, really authentic and really, really important. Um, And it's evident for me as I'm listening to this, like how important the performance of myself has been in some ways around the topic of like my personal practice. Like it's very, as I said earlier, it's a complicated relationship, but I can definitely see parts of myself in the past where it's like, I would never post on Instagram, a picture of my altar. Like the idea is profane. Mm. Um, and, and then I'm like, okay, girl, but you have an altar. Like <laughs> you can't front about that. It's right there. Where is the shame coming up there? Um, so I think a lot about that and how the social element of practice and like how important relationships have been. Um, I'm coming up with a lot of like, oh, wow, maybe, maybe I do do this more publicly than I thought. You know, mm. Quinn, as you say that, like what is hitting for me, I just like scribbled it down because I don't want to forget, 
is just how, if we do notice that's coming up for us, right? Like, oh, I, I should be performing this more. Maybe, as you said, there does need to be a performance. Maybe we need an audience that is capable of holding that performance, of which Instagram generally isn't, right? So maybe instead of saying we shouldn't have that need, we can say instead, I wonder how that need can get met safely. Mm. Yeah. Oh, totally. Totally. I, yeah. I think my audiences are in a lot of different areas of my life. Um, and they're in a lot of different relationships and I don't always like consciously go into them thinking, and today I'm going to do this. Um, and yet like relationships tend to be the greatest source of magic in my life. So that's where my magic tends to happen. I think. I believe it is you that constantly reminds me that we do not heal alone. Um, which I'm constantly trying to do. (laughs) (laughs) It's been very heavy magic in my life. Uh, well, I love all the things everybody's saying. And I, it's funny to me hearing Quinn, you be like, oh my God, I would never take a picture of my altar. Cause I'm like, I'm going to take a picture of my altar. I just updated it. And I want people to be inspired to have their own because you and I are such different witches and we bring really different magic. You know, I strongly identify with being like a love witch and not in the way of the movie where I'm not murdering people. Thank you. But. Or you wouldn't say it on the podcast if you were so. Well, I mean, I plead the fifth. Um, (laughs) (laughs) I really hope this episode doesn't turn up on like a murder podcast someday. Um, (laughs) Anyway, I, I just love all of the different ways we can all perform our magic and uh yeah you all do inspire me to heal with others as well because so often for me I am like okay I'm suffering so I'm gonna just milk the lesson out of it whether it's ready or not and then I'm gonna be like hello world here's how we learn from this horrible thing I'm currently going through and I'm gonna (laughs) bypass my shadow work by being like look I learned from it it's done now right right Right. Yeah. How's, yeah. How, how's that going for you, Kelly? How, how's that? How's oh, that for you? shit. Oh, my God, EJ. <laughs> Dude, <laughs> the universe um, doesn't give a shit. It does not give a shit. Let me tell you, I like the last most recent fucking heartbreak pulled a card and it was the ace of cups. Ooh, wow. 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 The relationship was so beautiful, but the breakup happened and I was like, I'm going to pull a card, pulled the fucking ace of cups. What a dick the universe (laughs) is. It's like, you want to learn about how to love. You want to learn how to really have universal love. Eat your heart, baby, your broken ass heart. And you know what you did? You know what you did to care for yourself was you called your therapist. I tried, but you know, I didn't try to open better help. And the unfortunate (laughs) thing is (laughs) my therapist has a full schedule. They're not like ready for me to just call them at the drop of a hat, but you know, you know who is better help. (laughs) I was really excited. This was actually the very first sponsor that you and I reached out to Mm -hmm. because we really wanted to build relationships with actual therapeutic tools into the podcast. One of the biggest struggles I have as a therapist is just wrestling with the inaccessibility of mental health treatment. 
so because BetterHelp can do therapy from their home and do it remotely, that means that people, you know, they don't have to go anywhere, which can actually be a thing. Like if you don't have a car or access, getting to a clinic can actually be difficult. Mm-hmm. So just the convenience of being able to be at home, I think is really important. And then that increases the possibility that people will actually utilize therapy. Yeah. I know that it has felt like a significantly lessened burden for me to be able to do therapy from home just on my phone. And I really hope that the world just gets more comfortable with virtual therapy in general because of where we're at in the world. I agree. And I think it's important that mental health consumers have the ability to have a say in who their provider is. As a therapist, I definitely, you know, I meet a new client and I'm like, well, you know, I don't think we're a good fit. So can I help you find someone who is? Or they tell me I'm not a good fit and that's fine. I think we really need to normalize that. And with BetterHelp, you can change anytime and choose a different provider if they're not a good fit for you. Because likely, you know, you might need to try on, you know, a few different kinds of providers before you find the one that's right for you. Having therapists who are capable of helping me with my specific needs and to say that they offer that worldwide is really cool to me Mm -hmm. really like the better help has financial aid available for people this is a long-term therapeutic process so this isn't a crisis line it's different than that it is not a self-help line it's different than that so it's a therapeutic relationship that needs to build consistently so that's what you can get And because BetterHelp is partnering with us, you can go to betterhelp.com slash pocket coven and you can actually get 10% off of your first month. If within that time you decide you don't like your therapist, you can, as Amber said, just easily switch to a different one. It's super accessible and it's betterhelp.com dot com slash pocket coven that will get you 10% off it'll get us just a little bit of a kickback so it's a great way to support the podcast and your well-being at the same time thank you so much for definitely listening to the ad and not <laughs> skipping it in 10 second increments until you found my voice again um or Kelly. uh welcome back from the ad break so quinn and ej both brought particular um kind of topics that they that they want to cover that they want to give to the community and I want to get to that but I just kind of want to finish the threads that we were on before the break Quinn had their hand up and I just would love to hear what they had to say and then we'll talk a little bit more concretely about how these two witches do what they do yeah I just want everyone listening Callie, Amber, EJ, my partner, my friends, my family to remember this sentence the next time they feel the need to come for me is I cry in a bathtub <laughs> or in a bedroom or on a Zoom call or on a phone call or a text thread. Uh, the desire to heal alone and to like not heal in relationships, to like tidy it up really quick is really just a desire to run from feeling something, I think. And let it just be on the record somewhere that I don't do that running. I just cry. I just feel it. <laughs> Quinn is Quinn is an amazing model for like leaning into something that every everyone everyone with no exception feel like the first impulse is to run away from those kinds of feelings. Quinn is like absolutely top model for like doing doing the very uncomfortable opposite that is absolutely necessary. Like you cannot 
the way the way out is through. You cannot get over something without going through it first. And Quinn does that in a way I have not ever seen anybody else in my life do. In part because my emotions are behemoths and they will hunt me down and kill me in the forest. Like they have before, they'll do it again. They're very intense, they're very strong. Um, and also because like, I don't know, you're told you're sensitive all your life and eventually it stops being you're sensitive and more just, I'm just in touch with what I'm feeling and I'm like, I'm tired of trying to apologize for that. Yeah, absolutely. I think that, you know, you saying your emotions are behemoths is like, yeah. I mean, the thing is they everybody's are. It's just that some of us fool ourselves into thinking that we have really good camouflage. It, it's not though. It's, not good. <laughs> it's like really obvious. <laughs> I mean, literally every client I have at least in the last month, I'd say has made a statement that is something like nobody else feels like this. Like I, I feel oh. my feelings much bigger and much more in a much more overwhelming way than other people do. And that's not like something to invalidate. It's so important for people to be able to see themselves there and just say, yeah, I have really big feelings. That's a, mm -hmm. that's a very necessary, necessary sort of mandatory step before you get to the place where you can say, and everyone is having this experience differently. Mm -hmm. We're not all in the same boat. We're ships in the same sea, right? We are, mm -hmm. we are in it mm -hmm. together, but that connectivity to other can't really come until we're connected to self right? It's a premature yeah. step to skip over that, which kind of brings me to Quinn, you know, like what Quinn is bringing in today from my perspective is so, is focused on self-efficacy and um, self-understanding and the work that they're doing internally, they then take out, right? Whereas EJ is in this other way, doing this very community-based work. I mean, self-work too, right? That's what witches are doing. But I'd love mm -hmm. to hear more from Quinn about just, you know, what, what you're bringing to the community today. And yeah. Totally. Um, I think a lot about how it's funny. Sometimes people will be like, oh, you're a witch or, oh, you're, you're trans or, oh, you're this or that. And they really don't seem like separate pieces of me most of the time um, because the skills that have helped me navigate one have been either pretty heavily informed by or are just the exact same skills that I use in the other. Um, I think a lot about how my experience being this like delightful gender weirdo um, has forced me to think liminally and has forced me to think uh, critically about like where and when I'm engaging with things and what's meaningful for me. Um, and there's no way for me to really separate that from like my experience of gender and there's no way to separate my experience of gender from an experience of what I would have to call faith. Like I just have to kind of trust that <laughs> at some point this meat suit is going to feel like the perfect meat suit for this perfect gendered experience. Um, and it's been a challenge and the tension in that challenge has been really important uh, getting there. It's been, a, it's been a challenge and the tension in the talent itself has been really, really important. Oh, that's lovely. That, that reminds me of something that um, actually that I'm learning right now. I'm in the middle of doing psychodrama. Quinn understands. Quinn is mm. also becoming a drama therapist. I uh, indoctrinated Quinn into the drama <laughs> therapy program. <laughs> they took one of my trainings, and that's the history of it. Um, but but the uh, the installation of a part of the self that just observes and just sees yourself. It's called an observing ego, and that that is really really important. 
like just the one who observes us with non-judgment and without shame and just says, oh, I see you struggle. I see you succeed. I see you. And, and I see you, Quinn, doing that for yourself. And that really seems to be increasing your capacity to do that for other people too. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah, I, I try real hard. You do. You do. <laughs> I do. <laughs> You're so right. Look at that observing ego. It's beautiful. So, 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 what is this practice? What is this way of being um, done for you? How have you transformed, and how are you bringing that transformation out into the world? Oof. Uh, the second part of that question seems tougher to answer right now in the middle mm. of a pandemic. But I mm. think the the first half of that question has been really, really. Uh, salient when I'm isolating alone in my apartment. I think so much of, I, I mean, I have complicated feelings about the word non-binary and I, I, part of me feels like I'm trying to sell someone the latest iPhone when I'm telling them I'm non-binary, like, Ooh, look at these new features. It's totally the newest, coolest thing. Um, when in reality, it's just the most accessible language to articulate what feels different for me, which is that like, I'm, I'm, not a man. I'm not a woman. Uh, I kind of am uninterested more and more as I age. I'm uninterested in articulating what I am specifically. Um, and that kind of liminal presence, uh, it's transformed everything. It's transformed how I've had to show up in relationships of all kinds, especially romantic and sexual relationships. It's transformed how I articulate myself as a developing professional. It's articulated, it's uh, transformed the way I articulate like my practice, as I've mentioned earlier, like how I engage with faith, like I don't think I'd be anywhere near as into witchcraft and the occult and spiritualism uh, as I am were it not for being a gender weirdo. I think a lot, I mean, I have complicated feelings about the source of this quote too, but Peter Gray has this quote from Apocalyptic Witchcraft um, that says, witchcraft is the recourse of the dispossessed. It's mm -hmm. this thing we reach to when we don't have anything else. And I think for so much of my upbringing, especially trying to figure out like, how do I relate to this body that I'm told is one way, but doesn't seem that way to me. Um, I've had to reach for things all the time. Uh, and that in itself has been like fundamentally transformational, especially as I've seen how that reaching has shifted. The more I allow myself to like find things meaningful or symbolic, or the more I allow myself to like pray or light a candle or, you know, indulge that pernicious occult, interest to like, ooh, what is this contacting the dead spell? Let me, let me hear about that. Um, the more I've engaged with that reflex and allowed myself to kind of explore that, the honestly, the better I've equipped I've been to deal with things like gender dysphoria or like bodily insecurity, um, which feels like a, a really radical transformation of the self. Oh, this just feels so much like the, the value of saying yes, right? Which is something that drama therapy teaches us to say yes to it. Like all of us have a very loud and clear no. This is not for me. This is not for me. But it just sounds like you've, you've had this process of feeling something and saying yes to it. I feel this part of myself emerging. Mm -hmm. I'm curious about you. Who are you? Right? So I love this about you, Quinn, and I admire it. And it... I, I mean this in the most admirational, admiring way. It <laughs> freaks me out. Um, and not because I don't do some of it, but because to me it feels like I'm really good at feeling something so strongly that it that I'm drowning. Or I'm really good at being like, oh, here's the thing. Okay, um, I'm going to set that aside. 
I'm going to put that in a box. I feel like one of the skills that you have that I would love, God, if I could just, if you could just osmosis, give that shit to me. I feel like you can hold a feeling, fully feel it and like go to the depths, but not drown. It's like, you kind of know when to come up for air. Do you, I don't know, have thoughts on that? <laughs> oh, yeah. I mean, I don't know. I, I feel that's the thing is I hear equivalents like that um, often, uh, not always as loving either. And it's been interesting trying to navigate like, okay, how, what, what do I think about that perspective of me? I think um, a, the simplest answer is it's not true. I've drowned. Like so many times I've drowned. Mm. Um, I've also like had to grow gills, like give a hmm. bitch some gillyweed. Like I've really had to do that. Oh no, I invoked the ultimate turf. Oh. Damn it. No, oh. you know what? I. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, no. I, I can leave that in. It's fine. Um, I'm not afraid of Joanne. <laughs> Come on, Joanne, fight me. Um, but no, I, I, I really do think that I, I have drowned. And, and like, it's, it, there, has, there have been many deaths. There have been many resurrections. Um, like, I, I am not at all, like, totally confident in my ability to hold an emotion all the time. Sometimes, like this past week, I have felt, like, absolutely unequipped to handle my mess. Totally unequipped. Um, mm -hmm. I think, like, there's just a level of, I don't want to call it honesty, but there's a level of um, relief in hitting that point sometimes. Exactly. So, Callie, I'm going to challenge you for a second, okay? okay oh, great. Yeah, You're love like, it. Great, great, great. No, no, it's a good challenge. The way that you described Quinn, I would describe you exactly the same way. I would just huh. describe Ooh. you exactly the same way. Mm -hmm. I think the difference, this is just me being a little clinical. Yes, I've done a ton of group therapy today. I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> It seems to me the difference is in the post-assessment of what happened, right? Mm. So Quinn has the self-assessment that it wasn't a problem to be, like, flailing down in the depths of the sea. I'm, I'm, like, imagining just, like, turning in the water and struggling and trying to breathe and then realizing, like, you don't have to try to breathe, that you belong down there, right? And you do the same thing. I just don't know if you're storying it that way. All right. All right. EJ, you were going to say something, though. Mm-hmm. I was going to say something. Um, I know we're in a, like, in the ocean drowning, growing gills metaphor. I'm going to give y'all whiplash and bring you into, into a different metaphor that I feel like is useful for this situation. So one of my favorite uh, scientific illustrators, Maria Sibylla Marion, was the, lived in, like, the 1500s and was effectively the first, like, Western uh, woman scientific illustrator, just specifically a botanical um and entomological illustrator. She's rad. You should look her up. Um, she is the reason that we know what we know about metamorphosis in moths and butterflies uh, and any kind of um, critter that goes into a chrysalis and does a transformation and comes out something else, which is you could, you could be forgiven for kind of assuming that like if you take a chrysalis that's like halfway through developing and cut it open – what you'll see is a sort of mishmash, half and half monster that's like half a caterpillar, half a butterfly. That is not true. What you get when you cut open a chrysalis in the middle of transformation is soup. These bugs form a thing that's protective. They make a little container. They go into this space and they dissolve completely. They fall apart and they reform 
as something new. And like from a remove, like this is why I love the scientific, uh, scientific illustrative lens so much. It's really like, it's so comfy and hypothetical to talk about it from this remove and look at like how beautiful that process is. When you go through that process as an individual, there is nothing romantic about that whatsoever. And I'm hearing that kind of when, when you're talking about like being in the depths and it's not, it's not a matter of like, you know, you go to the depths and you're fine. You go to the depths and you fucking die and then <laughs> figure it out after that. That's the, that's the kind of transformation narrative that I have in my head. Oh, to add to that, I think also a key difference between me and a lot of people, not just you, is that language is a refuge for me and I obsess over that refuge. Like it's really important to me to be able to articulate my experience. Um, and so I think sometimes that creates this like uh, glamour. I'll use that very deliberately. It creates this glamour around me that like I am processing these things, you know, with this kind of grace in part because like I want that grace, like desperately. Part of me is like, please, maybe I do have these skills. Maybe I don't, I don't know. Um, but like that externalization helps concretize it for me. It makes it real. It makes it physical. It makes it tangible. So if you can imagine just like me bubbling on the ocean floor, like, and breaking news, like I'm still dying. Back to you, Jim. Like it feels very like that sometimes. Um, and like, I don't know, I guess I just want to encourage you to remember that like, you don't have to give a news bulletin from the ocean floor. Sometimes you can just be in the ocean floor. Um, yeah. So what I'm hearing is that you and I are actually the same person, um, <laughs> as I have made my career off of publicly processing trauma. <laughs> and I'm, I'm hearing that what, what Callie sees in Quinn that is not enviable, but like, oh, I wish I had some of that, that you do. And that it's just that your perception is a little bit different, right? We have to become the goo. The Becoming the goo is the skill. Like falling apart is the skill. Coming undone is the skill. It is not unskilled, right? Poor Callie, we're reading her so hard. I love you. I know, you. God. <laughs> no, I mean. We love you very much. I know. Listen, I'm the earth sign in the coven you'll know that like when I'm at a hundred percent I hold it all the way down and I organize shit and I show the fuck up it's just that yesterday I was caterpillar soup and <laughs> Amber uh held me over FaceTime while I cried and I was like I can't cry in front of anyone except for you and my spouse and <laughs> today I feel so much more like um like yes I was the soup but Y'all feel like a cocoon, so thank you for holding Aww. me. I like how we're just having a coven meeting on accident during the yeah, podcast. pretty much. <laughs> well, it it yeah. shows like you know for our listeners, so many of whom are clients of me and Amber, um, what community support can look like. Like this is just one interpretation, but you know, showing up and saying like, "Wow, I wish that I had this skill that you have." can you give me advice? And then having people be like, bitch, you're talking about yourself. <laughs> you love are also, soup. yeah. Love the soup. We love you when you're soup. We love each <laughs> other when we're soupy. I will still like get 
up in medieval garb with my fancy hat with the feather and unfurl the long scroll of your accolades if I need to, because it is a lengthy <laughs> scroll. Let's not get it mm-hmm. twisted. Um, you like you do have these skills. We are very similar in that way. Um, I But I also know how easy it is to forget that in the moment. So mm-hmm. I will rain it on you if I need to. I mean, you do bring the rain and the thunder. I do bring the rain. <sighs> So beautiful. So beautiful. So I would love now to turn the spotlight to EJ because EJ has some shit to say and everyone's trauma is coming up anyway. So we're all, yeah, uh, our trauma babies are in the room. EJ, please tell us. Tell us about your magic. Tell us about how you tend to trauma, right? And how you use a trauma-informed perspective in tattooing. All of it. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so I want to preface by saying that I am, uh, I am still apprenticing. I'm very, very early still in my, uh, my trajectory as a tattoo artist. Um, two, two years and change kind of sounds on its surface. Like, yeah, I have, I have some knowledge. I know what I'm doing. Um, this is a, this is a, I, I go into this practice with a kind of like lifelong student kind of, um, mindset. And I, intend to continue doing that for as long as I'm doing it. You know, I hope to retain that when I've been doing this for 10 and 20 years. Um, I started thinking about the possibility of looking into being a tattooer. Um, oh gosh, three, four years ago, something like that is maybe when it was starting to like cook as an idea. Um, and I started thinking that way because I've been an artist my whole life and I've studied art my whole life and I've practiced it my whole life. And, um, that was a, the way I was seeing it then was kind of like, this is a cool, you know, I've been drawing my whole life. Maybe I can draw on people and that could be a fun flavor of art to try. Um, which it is, it's rad and I love it so much. And I discovered when I started my apprenticeship that it is a much, much, much more, um, just human and individual and relationship focused job than I, or it can be that, um, in a way that I didn't realize it could be. Um, I only really had the kind of like broad cultural examples of like what a tattoo artist is. I had, thank God I had never seen, uh, Ink Master, the show (laughs) before starting, before like going down that path at all. I'm really glad I didn't. Um, but I definitely had a concept of like tattoo artists are just artists who have like they just work on, you know, like a living surface or whatever. Um, and my understanding of it now is really, really, really different. It's much more like this is your tattoo artist, you're a body worker. Um, and it is up to you. You can, you can acknowledge that truth to the degree to which you want to, or you can ignore it. And that's kind of, that's your choice. And people make that choice along different, many different points on that spectrum. So, when I hear the term body worker, I do think of like physical healers. Do you identify with that at all? Um, I wouldn't feel comfortable calling myself a healer. Um, I think that tattooing as a intentional ritual has healing potential. Um, Mm -hmm. I think that, and that really comes down to what is being brought to the process by, for me, it's mostly by the client. Um, I like in my practice, I try to be really receptive to 
what my clients are bringing me, right? I have plenty of clients that um, want to get tattooed because I ha- because they like my style or they have a fun idea that they think is cool or they saw, you know, they saw a thing of my, like, that I posted on my Instagram or, like, they saw a piece of flash that I drew there and they're like, like, that's a cool aesthetic or that's a cool, like, shape. I would like to have that, um, which is rad, I want to say. Like, I don't want to put down at all anybody that, like, goes into tattooing as, like, purely decorative or purely fun. That's awesome. You should do that for you. Um, if a client is bringing me a project that is very clearly like laden with something extra, you know, um, and it doesn't even necessarily, I feel like the first thing, first thing that folks think of is like a memorial tattoo, you know, you lost, lost somebody in your family, you lost a pet, you want to get a, um, memorial tattoo of that loved one. Um, but it's all kinds of other stuff too. I feel like I get a ton of, folks that want a tattoo that kind of sets a marker for themselves of like they've passed out of a period of their life or they're entering a new phase and they want to kind of, um, make that, make that physical in a really specific way. Um, when they bring me that, I try to support that, you know, I'll, I will bring my knowledge about like how to, how to shape that experience for them so that it's supportive of like the thing that they're trying to accomplish, you know? Mm-hmm. Totally. I mean, you're designing a tattoo for me right now. That's deeply personal. And you know that it's not a memorial tattoo. It's not for a dead person. It's for like an emergent aspect of self that is really powerful in my life right now. So, I mean, you're the only person I want to tattoo that on me. And Callie's also had work done by you. And, um, I don't know, Callie, do you want to speak to that? I mean, to like how EJ holds that space. Cause that's what I'm hearing is that, you're not right doing like direct healing interventions, but the way that you yeah. hold the space for your clients is healing. Try to make it that way. Yeah. I mean, you know, I said earlier it was five hours. It was like five hours start to finish me getting there and sitting down and us talking about things. And you know, the ink process was like two hours. Um, one of the things that stood out to me most, in addition to like how, careful the safety precautions are, especially for the pandemic things, um, is that it was an extremely comfortable space to be in. Like Lilith is a very comfortable environment. And I got to meet, is the owner's name Jill? Jude. Jill is somebody else who works there. Jude is the owner. Well, hey, I remembered another name. Great. (laughs) Um, but Jude was, so warm. And, you know, for me, I have a lot of, I think like so many queers, I have a lot of trauma in the queer community, of like not belonging. And I was yeah. like, Oh, I've been thinking of like old school Tegan and Sarah today. And Jude was like, Oh my God. Yes. And just put it right on. <laughs> and I loved that. I loved that. You know, I wasn't like, I, I at least believe from my firsthand experience that as you were working on my wrist in the very tender spots, I was like, oh, that is painful. Um, I wasn't like, ah, it's nothing like TV, y'all. If you don't have a tattoo yet, it is not like that. But <laughs> I like that I expressed a little bit of discomfort and you were like, oh, as soon as I finish this pass, I'm going to use numbing spray on you because I've only ever had one artist do it. And it's not that I go in being like, I'm going to have them numb my skin. Like it's, you're getting your skin beaten up by needles. It's going to be unpleasant in some ways, but 
the one other time I've ever had numbing agent used on me, the person was like, you know, I really don't like to do this. I really don't like it. It constricts the blood vessels. It changes the texture of the skin. And at that time I was like, oh, I'm so sorry. But for you, you prioritized my comfort and that felt really good. And the way, so first of all, thank you. I'm really glad that you received that experience that way. Um, and the way that you just said that artists talk to you about that option tells me a whole lot about what they are, what they're prioritizing in their work. Mm -hmm. And I want to, I want to be careful here because I don't want to, I don't know, there's a kind of a, there's a dichotomy there of like artists who really prioritize like, um, making the best possible work that they can which is for their client, right? Like they're making, they're trying to make like the best possible thing that their client then gets to keep forever. Tattoos are really unique as an art form that way. You don't, unless something really serious happens to you, you get to keep that, keep that art on you for your entire life. Mm -hmm. Um, but the way the, and the other, like the other way to approach it is prioritizing the experience that that person has in that moment with you on the same level as the art that you're making for them. Right. Mm -hmm. So like the way and the way I tend to offer, um, yes, I sometimes will use numbing spray for, uh, work that is taking a long time or if somebody is experiencing, um, sensation that is, uh, impacting their ability to like, uh, be still. So if somebody is like, uh, getting kind of twitchy cause it's super uncomfortable or like, like starting to, uh, involuntarily like turn away from me a little bit, that's, that's also kind of like affecting how good a job I'm able to do. Right. So I'll mm -hmm. bring that up as an option, you know, like this is a, this is a tool I can use. This is a situation I think that's appropriate to use it in. Would you like to do that? Mm -hmm. Um, and just like, let let the client, the clients are in a really, um, vulnerable position in tattoo shops at multiple levels, especially people who have not people who aren't super tattooed or people who are in there for their first time or even second or third time, potentially. Um, you know, they're paying for a service that they're paying for a service because they don't know how to do that service themselves safely. Right. They don't have the skill or training or knowledge, et cetera, to do that thing themselves. So they're coming in and putting themselves at, at the mercy of like my training and expertise. And part of my approach is kind of to make, make sure that they feel like the playing, the playing field is like a little more level kind of, that feels like the wrong analogy, but something like I am, I want to express like, yes, I have a ton of knowledge. I am here to use that expertise and knowledge to help you make the right choice for yourself. I'm not here to tell you what to do. I'm not here to tell you what the right kind of tattoo is for you to get because you are the one who has that knowledge. I'm here to tell you, like, give you feedback on your idea. If you have like a particular aesthetic that you're trying to achieve on this body part, I may be able to tell you like, okay, if we know that, we know you want this, but you also know that like your discomfort tolerance is like a little slim. We might not be able to go for more than like an hour and a half. Maybe let's structure it this way. Maybe let's structure multiple sessions, offer options like that. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I think that one of the things that you really bring to your practice very consciously that I have experienced is that you are, you're the initiator of that specific ritual. So you, you hold the space, you know, a lot of tattoo experiences, you go in and somebody slaps some art on you 
and it's kind of a wham, bam, thank you, ma'am situation. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And with you, I mean, it was very conscious the entire time. It was really collaborative. And also you cared very much that the experience of getting the tattoo was absolutely equal to the work being beautiful. I think that's really special. Thank you. That means a lot to hear that reflected back. I really try to do that in my work. You do. (laughs) Oh, I love this love fest. You know, (laughs) Quinn, I'm wondering just kind of like what's coming up for you around, around these themes, right? Like the theme of self, the theme of other, the theme of person centeredness. Like I was really hearing that about prioritizing um, the client's needs first. Right. And um, I think, you know, a thing or two about that. I do. I feel like I'm being pop quizzed um, in a way, in a loving way. Yeah. I mean, I think the first thing that comes up is just how excited I am to work with EJ in the same capacity. Like I'm really excited. Uh, we had a, a brief chat earlier this week where I was like, so I'm having these ideas. Um, and, and they, it was honestly, I think maybe the most restorative zoom call I've had in a century. Um, oh. But there, there was that same level of like that container was being held for like that kind of relational exchange of, of um, not just needs, but also like experiences and ideas and dreams and hopes. It was lovely. Um, but yeah, I'm thinking a lot about how, how much of, of what is resonant for me, both as like a therapist in training, as a trans person, as a partner, as like a human, a witch or whatever is, is coming from like my, my, my deeply um, transformative relationships that I've been lucky enough to have in my life and how especially resonant those have been with people that share this like gender liminal experience with me, like EJ does. Um, I think part of the reason that Zoom call was so restorative is because we both have that shared experience of, of otherness. And um, I don't know, we've like triangulated this kind of neat little niche that feels very, a part of me shows up there that can't show up anywhere else. And the more I give myself space to do that, the, the less other the other seems, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. That absolutely makes sense. I forgot to tell the listeners you're 150 years old. Um, well, I'm ancient. Quinn <laughs> is ancient. And also an anecdote that popped up that I totally forgot. And I don't think EJ even knows this. So EJ, I reposted um, on live, not live journal, too old Amber, Tumblr. Um, <laughs> been on the internet a long time. Um, mm-hmm. I reposted a piece of your artwork on Tumblr and was corrected by someone and they told me your name. They're like, you reposted this without credit. This is EJ Landsman's. And I was like, what? wait a minute. And I just started working at Sanka, the circus school. And I was like, my coworker made this. <laughs> and I, what? yeah. And I realized it was you. And then, so I started to try to get to know you. Cause I was like, wow, this person's really cool. And I've never not posted art without credit since because it humanized that 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 relationship to me it was like this is really personal and 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 my body has been reproduced artistically and put in the internet without credit to that it's my ass um and and so <laughs> I, I anyway I just wanted to tell you that yeah I know oh my god thank you I'm yeah. so delighted to know that it was your drawing um what doesn't kill me makes me harder to relate to weirder and harder to relate to <laughs> yep I have to so I I also have to give credit I have to compound this a little bit because I borrowed that. That was an illustration of, oh God, I'm some other uh, Tumblr users 
um, creation. It's, it wasn't, it wasn't a tweet, but it could have been a tweet. It was just like their, their post that was just like, what doesn't kill me makes me weirder and harder to relate to. And I was like, wow, wow, goddamn, I need to draw that. Um, and that, that was one of those illustrations that the entirety of Tumblr in, Mm -hmm. Oh, whenever that was 2014, 15, Mm -hmm. everybody was like, yes, hello, this is me. I would like this, please. So that really blew up. That delights me. Thank you for telling me that. Mm -hmm. Isn't that like memeing right now? Isn't that going around the internet right now? It could still be. It actually got, it got stolen by, this has probably happened more than once. You know how people will like just like take somebody else's design and like re like recolor it or reformat it and just like start selling it. Somebody started doing that on like Redbubble or like a big cartel or one of those places. And I like, there's nothing. They like did a really, really awkward like MS paint job coloring it in. Oh. And I, I don't, I'm not making enough, you know, residuals from like, selling designs like that on the internet for it to be worth my time to like go after this person and they're like very very bad pixelated version of my work so I've decided that I don't care that's a transformative practice there you go Mm -hmm. give it to the goddess goodbye yep (laughs) it looks like shit (laughs) (laughs) so EJ and Quinn yes I want to talk about transformative potential what does that mean, mm. right? So, I mean, it's in there, the, the potential to transform, right? And what that looks like. I know that both of you have thoughts on this topic. I know your big juicy brains pretty well. So I would just, you know, to kind of close us out, I would love to hear just your, your, your thoughts about that and how that's coming up for you. And I'm going to start with Quinn, if that's okay. Yeah. Um, I think a lot about like the how how transformative potential for transformative potential for me shows up in relationships specifically. Um, I had the absolute honor, pleasure, uh, and I use this adjective very, very, very deliberately. Transcendent opportunity to meet um, another uh, transfeminine, like occultist, witch, like studier of the arcane, what have you, on TikTok of all places. Um, who goes by the handle Selkie Girl. You can follow her on Patreon, where she has made an absolute smorgasbord of content readily accessible. Um, She kind of specializes in the Hermetic Kabbalah and really making that more um, of an accessible, easy to like track the influence of tradition on the modern occult and witchy worlds. And she went viral on TikTok a little while ago because she produced an album that kind of guides you through the whole process, the whole the whole Kabbalah. And uh, it went viral because, you know, some TikTok person, I don't know, made this post about how the album would make you astrally project. And so immediately everyone flocked to the album as this, like, amazing, weird thing produced by this quirky person. Um But when I first stumbled across her page, so much of what she wrote about and spoke about was like the inherent liminality of transness and how we are already like kind of conditioned to be able to access like what is sometimes referred to as arcane or mystical knowledge because of our experience showing up in like liminal identities and liminal bodies. And I was like, whoa, there's another trans person talking about the occult and like, 
really calling into question all of these kind of archaic, very cis-heteronormative, like binary, dualistic kinds of thinking. And she's completely yeeting it into orbit. She's like, fuck this. I'm done with this. I didn't escape the gender binary just to have it show up in my personal practice too. Um, and I listened to the album in a bath and I had a lovely experience and I got to have my own little personal process with it. But what made the experience so transformative for me was knowing that another trans person was facilitating it. I have complicated feelings about um, trans feminine as an identity, but what made it really incredible was knowing that like, here was this person who shared enough of my experience to understand a lot of the pain that I was experiencing, a lot of the trauma that I've experienced, a lot of the confusion that I've experienced, and a lot of how inaccessible um, the occult, which the, like even mental health worlds can be when we have this binaristic, cis-heteronormative ways of talking about like energy and and matter and and you know our paths and how to be you know a whole human. Um, and I think it was that facilitation, knowing that it was another trans feminine person or another trans person, maybe more accurate for me, um, knowing that another trans person designed that experience, like made possible a thing that like I don't think I would have experienced in any other capacity. And we've since like riffed back and forth and video chatted about like our experiences and how into pop culture and like pop culture witchcraft we are and how these things, these like super archaic things from like the Order of the Golden Dawn and shit are showing up in like comic books, um, completely like unremarked by most people and how fascinating that is for us. And that relationship, that friendship, um, Totally, like, over the internet. I don't even know Selkie Girl's, like, first name. I, I, it's, it's just Selkie Girl to me. Like, who else could it be? Mm-hmm. Um, has has been such a lovely, like, refuge. Uh, especially when, like, just a couple scrolls down on TikTok, you'll find some turf talking about using menstrual blood in their craft. And how if you can't use menstrual blood, then it's not a real spell or whatever. Or how, like, people who are engaging in, in witchy things um, from, like assigned male at birth spaces are just like, you know, creepy men in disguise trying to get access to Diana's chosen or whatever. Um, yeah, it's, it's very scary. And like, again, I, I have complicated feelings with like the, the believing any of that, so to speak. Like, do I really like think this is how the cosmos is structured or do I really think magic is real? Like those questions aren't as important to me as what is this relationship doing for me right now? How do I feel knowing that somebody else like me is like embarking on this journey with me and how incredible it is to like have a brief respite from this dualistic male, female, negative, positive way of looking at witchcraft, at psychology, at like the human condition. And that has been like so deeply transformative and I am so grateful for it. And I see echoes of that um, in relationships now that I have with other trans people elsewhere too. I think we're going to have to have you back on the show to talk about that entire subject of, you know, the, the divine feminine and the divine masculine and how it shows up in magic and where mm. it belongs and where the fuck it doesn't. I mm-hmm. think we can have you back for that. I would be honored. Yeah. The divine does not care about your gender identity. I don't think. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's an, it, it's ephemeral. <laughs> yeah. Oh, goodness. Thank you so much, Quinn. I love listening yeah. to Quinn speak. It's one of my favorite hobbies. Quinn <laughs> sends me Quinn sends me very long. We both do. We send each other long. Um, uh, dr- I'm going to say dramatic because there's nothing wrong with the word fucking dramatic. But watch, mm. me, watch me be like, I can't say that. It has negative connotations because I have a pussy. Anyway, so... Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, anyway, we send each other voice memos. It's precious. Thank you, Quinn. I love you. EJ, my friend, 
what do you have to say on the topic of transformative potential? Gosh, so much. Um, I think that the, I think that uh, tattooing as a practice is, it's already a ritual, right? It's already got a container. It's already got tools associated with it. It already has like specific steps that do like need to be followed for it to be like in its appropriate form for it to be safe, all of that stuff. Um, and I'm going to say, I think they're inherently like a tattoo is inherently transformative because you're changing something permanently. That's, that's the whole, what's the whole thing that you're doing. You're making, making something be there that wasn't before, which is magic, by the way, that's what that is. Um, and it's also like a lot of other flavors of magic, I think it is there to be engaged with to the degree to which you would like to engage with it. Right. So I have plenty of clients that come, like I was saying before, I have plenty of clients that come to me for a purely aesthetic reason. I also want, like, I love those clients. That's really fun to do my job that way. The, um, the projects that I work on that are brought to me by somebody who understands that they are going through something and they want help making meaning out of that. They want it. They want a little bit of outside assistance to um, transform their experience, to understand it and contain it in a way. That's the kind of that's the kind of project that makes me feel like this is a. That's the kind of thing that makes me feel called to do this. I don't. I I feel I already feel a little bit of imposter syndrome creeping in just saying that out loud. But like that's the kind of thing that I'm like, oh yeah, I really. I, that's, that makes me want to keep doing this for the rest of my life. Yeah. Mm, you are a mm. practitioner of sacred safety. Mm. That's so sweet. I love that. It's beautiful. I think that both of you touched on so much of how, I mean, safety is sacred to magic. It's, you know, you look at everybody's witch kit, whatever they have, everybody has salt we care a lot about protection and keeping ourselves safe. And so much of magic comes from us really trying to find safety in this experience of being weird little meat sacks. <laughs> We're renaming the podcast weird little meat sacks. Can I actually, can I actually have that as the, as an album name? This is we're gonna we're gonna record something together. That's the first yes. album name. Just crying. <laughs> just crying. <laughs> <laughs> we'll try to line up our activation. Like, okay, you guys, can you just like cope for like five more days? I can feel a depressive episode coming. Mm-hmm. I need like yeah. little intermissions that are just like bodily noises, like Oh my god. <laughs> <laughs> Horrible. Thank you. Um Callie, since you brought up safety, I want to throw in a really quick thing that, like, I think a lot, I see a lot of, like, language around, oh, language language around making, like, a safe space for people, right? That's a term we've all heard, like, this is a safe space, et cetera. Um, that is a term that I've heard applied to some, like, tattooing spaces. Um, I don't, I'm not here to start a fight. I don't have any issue with people, like, using that term. I don't use that term. And I intentionally don't use that term because the way, like, obviously there's 
like my process is safe. You know, like I took the bloodborne mm-hmm. pathogen training. I do that every year. There's like stuff that I got to do to understand like physical, like health related safety. All of that stuff is in place. The thing that I think safe space sometimes refers to is the idea of like, it sometimes feels to me like it's striving for like, this is a space where you are, you're never going to be hurt, right? You are emotionally completely safe in this space and no one will like, nothing bad is going to happen to you here. And I feel a really strong, um, really strong pushback against the idea of being able to promise somebody that they're going to have a particular type of experience. Mm -hmm. I try really hard to make an experience that is generative and supportive for that person. And I really shy away from saying like, you're not ever going to be hurt here because I don't know, I don't know what kind of experiences somebody's bringing in the door, you know? And that, I feel like that kind of ties into this like trauma informed lens that we were talking about earlier. The whole, the whole idea for me of a trauma informed lens is I don't, I don't know what some, what baggage somebody is bringing with them, what trauma they may have experienced. And I might not ever have clarity around that, but I'm going to hold the possibility that it's there while they're in the space with me. And that means that if I see something happen, that is like something comes up for them, I'm going to be supportive of it. I'm not going to say like, you know, I'm, I'm going to support their experience and not say like, no, that didn't happen. Or like, oh, I didn't mean it that way, blah, blah, blah. I'm going to be like, okay, cool. So let's talk, you know, how, where are we going to go from here? Exactly. Exactly. I love that you're saying this. The creation of a space that is safe enough in therapy, we say safe enough, right? Um, mm. Is is actually it's flipped on its head. It's that there's a solid container so that you can feel within it. That is actual safety. Is yes. containment mm. and relationship and strength to hold emotion instead of I'm not going to do anything to provoke your emotion because that's not possible. Yes. And also, I'm thinking a lot about how risk and danger and discomfort are sometimes within reason, of course. Like, risk is the cost of admission to what feels meaningful, I think. Like, so much of what feels, like, growth-oriented in some way involves risk. Um, And even if that's the Mm. tiniest risk of, like, mild discomfort with the self, I feel like that's, that's definitely at play there. Yeah, absolutely. What are you thinking? So moat. So moat. I know. I know. I love it. This is, this is wonderful. I have one more. um, I know Quinn, Quinn did a name drop and I really want to do a name drop because I have some people that have informed. I would feel really uh, remiss representing all of this knowledge that I have without um, naming these people. One is my mentor, Super Fox at uh, Lilith Tattoo in Fremont, who is a Um, I don't think they would disagree if I referred to them as a witch. I'm pretty sure that's the label that they claim. Um, And the way that they have taught me to engage with clients um, has been, I mean, they're my my mentor. It's been like the the most formative thing in how I'm learning to do this craft. Um, And they definitely started me on the path of like thinking about how do we think about trauma in this space that's like so vulnerable for clients. Um, and the other person is a really fantastic tattoo artist in out of New York, I believe, whose name is Tamara Santibanez, um, who has done, actually has like uh, written up a ton of material, much of which is free to access, um, specifically on trauma-informed tattooing. And it's a kind of educational material both for 
tattoo artists for stuff that we can be thinking about bringing into our practice and also for um, clients in the sense of like, here's some things that you like, here are some reasonable things for you to ask of your tattoo artist when you go into um, a consultation or a tattoo appointment. Um, So I really recommend folks uh, check them out if they have any interest in this topic. I love that. We're going to have a link to that in the show notes because EJ is going to send it to me. Yep. <laughs> Same with Selkie Girl. Gonna link yeah. Gonna link her. Absolutely. So, I mean, thank you so much both for being here. If you're on our Patreon, you get to have even more of Quinn and EJ. You get to have two hours probably of Quinn and EJ, <laughs> which is fantastic. This is our media. Hell yeah. It's true. We are going to be doing some transformational magical practices all together. This little coven, our first coven witchcraft on the air. So if you want to be part of it, join our Patreon at patreon.com slash the pocket coven. The. The. Literally <laughs> always forget. Why did I make all of our handles different? I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> Kelly, I love you so much and running a business is hard y'all it fucking is (laughs) and also please please love us on apple Podcasts. it really helps the reviews are so sweet and so nurturing to our process ain't it the truth yeah all right friends one two three let's say goodbye Farewell. You're like at the same what? time or one at a at time. time? What are we doing? What's the plan here? Us. I'm trying to figure. <laughs> All right, bye everybody. I'll see you next week. <laughs> bye. <laughs> so long. <laughs> Farewell. Happy trails. <laughs> Happy to have been here. <laughs>